0: you all listening to Lady Radio, the hottest show this side of Dizzo. Greetings and welcome to episode 5 of Blade Radio, the podcast that covers the universe of Elite and the development of the computer game Elite 4, Elite Dangerous. I'm your host, second technician, Fosser Forrester, and joining me in the recently resprayed orange sidewinder tonight are Head of Corporate Entertainment, Chris Jarvis. Good evening. Station Commander and Head of Fantasy Liaisons, Alan Stroud. Cheers, thanks. And finally, the guy who keeps the station spinning and the toilets flushing in the right direction, Chief of Engineering, John Stableboy.
1: Hello, good evening.
0: Ah, but wait, hang on, that's not all. We have a guest commander joining us this week. You may recognise him from such shows as Lave Radio, writer's interview number two. A warm welcome to the writer of Elite licensed novel and here the wheel, John Harper. G'day. G'day, John. What's everybody been doing? Alan, start us off. What have you been up to this week?
2: Uh, Well, very recently, I've been enjoying a very nice cup of tea out of my limited edition Elite Lave Revolution mug. (laughs) What else have I been doing? Um... Managing the Kickstarter, uh, the last few days now. So, if it's something that anybody's interested in, it watch the um, watch the videos and see if you're you're going to pledge, um, which would be great. To be honest, uh, even if people just share it, it's um, it's good. So, sharing the uh, uh, the Kickstarter on on Facebook and Twitter, you know, is really helpful. Um, and yes, I've been doing that. I've been fixing a science fiction set that one of my students uh, made. I've been doing that again <laughs> this week. I've got to mark some of the science fiction assignments tomorrow, which should be good, and I've had a little bit of time off because I've not been very well.
0: Ah, speaking about not being very well, John, how are you, sir?
1: Yeah, I've been suffering my tonsillitis. Um, my glands are still up and i still got a bit of a sore throat, but I'm hoping to talk a little bit more this week. Always a joy. Chris, what have you been up to, mate? Uh,
3: well, I've been beavering away, working hard on some scripts and some music and getting some actors together for something I think we're going to talk about a little bit later on.
0: Yes, indeed. Don't uh, don't spoil the surprise now, mate. Uh, and John, all the way from New Zealand, what have you been up to this week, mate?
4: Working on the um, next podcast, actually. Um, the first one was a bit of a success, so I'm uh, making it bigger and better and longer and more intense. Um, hopefully you'll like this one. I'm going to cover the same sort of sort of stuff, you know, details on the story, the novel, and uh, fan questions. But um, I was reporting from Lave last time and had to take the, the Cobra Mark 3 in for our repairs and uh We'll have a look and see if it's actually fixed or whether they're going to be marooned on lay for a bit longer.
0: Great stuff. Well, guys, we'll go straight on into the news. The news this week, we're covering the second developer video diary from David Braben, the third newsletter, and also the sixth feature request update that's been on the forums by Ashley Barley. Okay, so David's second video diary, uh, another Q&A from the forums. First question was from Burn2K. Will trade routes in Elite Dangerous have any continuity with the old games? Now, I know this is something that we actually talked about before we came on air, but uh, David's answer was that the galactic maps in Elite Dangerous are going to be more accurate than in previous games. In the Frontiers and First Encounters, they basically had to flatten out the star maps and bring some stars closer together to make it work uh, than they actually were in real life. So in Elite Dangerous, the galactic map is going to be far more accurate. So yeah, some of the trade runs are going to stay the same, and some of them are going to be slightly changed given the increase in distance. Uh, what do you guys think well, chris you were talking about the um the fact that you had a trade run all set up when you were playing elite originally
3: no not elite this is on frontier yeah i happened across a system where for some reason um gemstones or, or whatever the thing was um were there was a system where they were illegal and they would pay you sort of one and a half grand to take them away per tonne and then you could just go to a neighboring system and sell them for three grand and uh, it was brilliant i i think all the higher level ships i bought were purely bankrolled off off that one trade run, so... Hang on, hang on. So
0: gemstones (laughs) were actually illegal in that
3: system, and that was the
0: bug in the game?
3: No, well, I I can't say whether it was a bug or not, but I know that they paid me one and a half grand per tonne to take them away.
2: Cue everybody going back to find their copies of Frontier. (laughs) Absolutely. The system. Um, The thing is, I think, um, just to go back to the the point, Foz, um, John and I are probably known for a little while in the writing forum that, uh, that this map was going to change. Uh, Drew Wager had, had indicated this on uh, on his blog, and uh, it had been kind of known that, uh, that certain things were going to alter uh, for some time. Not specifically, though, why they were altering. We didn't know uh, the situation with regards to the map being flattened, and that, was, that was certainly was new information from David Braben.
1: Yeah, the interesting uh, thing on this, obviously, is that it implies, if they're going to be more realistic, that the galactic map is no no longer going to be this kind of 2D, kind of pseudo-3D, where things have a depth to them. It's actually going to be a proper 3D star map.
4: Have you guys played Pioneer at all? Because they've got a fully three-dimensional map on that, and yeah. boy, it blows your brains a little bit, doesn't it? That was my feeling. It took a while to get your head around it, you know?
0: So how does it work? How is it different from the the 3D map in Frontier? Because I thought that
4: was quite clever, the
0: way you obviously press your right mouse button and move everything around and things had depth and different sort of spatial awareness.
1: Well, I think it was for ease of use because it was 2D. It was a lot easier to just move around the grid. And then you'd only actually really have to ever zoom in or maybe rotate it if you had two systems that were close together or something like that you know apart from that most of the time you could just pan around in two dimensions but obviously now you've got modern hardware and maybe they've got improvements for the um the user interface they obviously feel comfortable with doing a three d fully three d map
3: I always found it very hard to check my jump radius though for for systems that were. You know, there were some systems that were very high next to systems that were very low. Well, I found it very difficult to figure out which ones I could actually get to. So hopefully that interface has been (laughs) well and truly overhauled. Well, um, I was watching the
2: other day, there was a nice program a couple of years ago done uh, by, I think it was broadcast on Channel 5 and then put onto one of the documentary channels where David Braben and Ian Bell were on together talking about, or not together, they were different interviews, but talking about how they developed Elite and how the last thing that they put in place... Was the scanning system, so they had the hyperspace sort of circle and everything else, but you know the scanner where you picked out where ships were around you that was the last thing they did and uh, when they did it, it sort of works in a more three dimensional way with the the way the pips come down towards you than um, than it did with the flat scanner that they had and they said it it massively improved the game and that was that was actually only implemented two weeks before elite went live and you know and was distributed so I guess at this stage, they're kind of looking at, you know, the full three-dimensional sort of rig and uh, and think they can do it well. I think it sounds fantastic.
1: I think that the easiest way to do it, and the way I'd do it if I was writing the game, would I, for your max jump radius, you just have like a semi-transparent sphere which show, shows you your jump radius in 3D, and um, that would be the way to go, really.
4: Well, in, in Pioneer, they actually, uh, I think they shaded the stars a different colour. So the ones that were in radius were like a a bright gray and the ones that were too far to jump to were a light gray so it was like from a glance it was immediately obvious where you could and couldn't go but of course it was a three dimensional, so you needed to have to twist the whole map around to actually check that for all, all dimensions but that was that was a pretty handy looking way to do it
0: okay well moving on to the next question this one came in from soul song and it was basically a question of like the original game is it going to be possible to travel outside the milky way galaxy David very quick to say that uh, no, it's not possible, but it doesn't really make a difference to the game because the galaxy that they're building is going to be so huge, it's not going to really affect gameplay. Obviously, in the original Elite, you had the opportunity to travel to what was it, eight different galaxies? Eight, yeah. It was eight. Yeah. What do people think about this? Is there a need to uh, to leave the galaxy? Would you like to go out of the side the Milky Way? I think this validates what
3: I've always said that you know, just because something's bigger doesn't mean it's necessarily going to give you a better time and I've I've long been an advocate of, advocate of this philosophy i think it you know i think it demonstrates the point i mean they've got to fill the universe with content and i think they've said that you know that it's going to be so big already you're going to struggle to get around all of it and just adding something else you know isn't going to provide more possibilities more gameplay choices it's just going to kind of thin out what they're able to what they're able to do i think
2: as well this decision was kind of already made when they went from elite to frontier because in Frontier you had more places to go to, you had more things to visit, but you actually only had one galaxy as opposed to the eight that you had in the original game. So if you're going for accuracy and you're going for, you know, for populated content, then it's kind of the only way you can go.
1: Yeah, I agree with that. And I mean unless unless all of a sudden they find out there's so many people playing it that they need to somehow increase the size of the galaxy or maybe tag another one on, that's something they can do in an update anyway.
0: Well, given the size of the, the galaxy, obviously they're saying that it's going to be so massive. Do you think there's any risk, this is probably a little bit off topic, do you think there's any risk that if you were to fly towards the edge of the galaxy, that's because it's so big, you don't actually get to play with any other players, that you can actually go out and find yourself alone
4: in space? In First Encounters, when I got the Thargoid ship, the first thing I did was uh, bugger off the edge of the galaxy. And, um, it didn't actually run out, you know, the stars became more sparse, but actually ran out of, there was nothing really to do there, you know, there sort of, was just... The, the planets were further apart, and there was just nothing sort of special going on. And it was kind of a letdown, but I never actually got to the centre of the galaxy to find that black hole.
0: So, with the galaxy being procedurally generated, do we think that even when you get to sort of the outer reaches, there will still be places for you to dock, pirate bays, you know, old relics, that sort of stuff for the explorers to actually play with?
1: Well, I think that's what the explorers are going to have to do. Is they're going to, ha- you know, they will be finding out where on the frontier, or where is the frontier? You know, where are the last uh, space stations and things like that, that's going to be a big factor in the game um, like it was in many of the, the previous games
2: Hopefully nav data will be something that uh, that's a shareable and tradable commodity so if people are going to the edge of the galaxy then they'll come back with their nav maps and sell those to the corporations and then the corporations can you know, sell them on to other people and then people can go and explore these places and potentially launch colonial missions I mean that's kind of how you want to see it go isn't it?
1: Yeah, they've already said that um, the game's going to be evolving, so that we will start seeing new spaceports being built. So yeah, Alan, what you said goes hand in hand with that. If somebody finds um, something with enough resources making it worthwhile to colonise, then you would hope that, um, you know, given a, given a couple of weeks or months down the line, you'll, you'll start seeing space capital ships showing up, say, and some space stations being built.
3: It comes back to the thing of um player controlled space stations that i know has been brought up before in feature requests and stuff and i can't remember if they've said that it's you know even in the first stage or second stage or or never but it does come down to that thing of you know can you as a pioneer kind of take yourself out to a really far-flung system and then as a player create like a little space station that's a sort of last refuge (laughs) if you like on the edge of the galaxy
0: I would hope it's the sort of thing you could only do after you've amassed obviously, enough wealth or enough experience to uh, to really sort of get it going. I wouldn't want to see that sort of thing coming in, uh, in day one or the first month of uh, gameplay.
3: I think it depends. I had an idea once upon a time for a, a kind of multiplayer space game. There was a point in gaming where everyone was kind of divided up into their little genre camps of games they liked. And you had the people that liked the space sims and the people that like the first-person shooters and the people that liked the sim management games. And I actually remember thinking at the time, wouldn't it be fun if you could have a multiplayer game where the people that like to be the sim managers can have a station that they manage and the other players that are in their ships can dock at a player-managed station and whether that would be a different experience. But I think it's a very different sort of thing.
2: I think Elite is going to centre around the idea of combat and space simulation to begin with. We can kind of see if, you know, if we're amazingly successful and uh, it's the greatest game ever, which we all hope, then, um, you know, maybe you'll
0: see something else. Great stuff. Well, the next question comes in from Patrick68000. Will you be able to track and follow other commanders' hyperspace jumps? Now, I know we've covered this on previous episodes of uh, Lay Radio, but it was definitely confirmed by David Braben that, yes, there will be advantages to slipstreaming people into hyperspace, such as the second person won't have to take as long to spin up their drive, but you will probably need specialist equipment to make sure that you'll be able to slave your computer into your allies. What do people think about this? I know we've covered it on on previous ones, and obviously there's the the aspect of uh, pirates following you into hyperspace and running the risk of either misjumping themselves or getting damaged by following people blind.
1: Well, this was mentioned in the the Hyperdrive DDF notes that they were talking about, Um, and yeah, this slipstreaming or tailgating idea was brought up, obviously, in the context of pirates, but um, David Braben said it in a different context this time, he was talking about, you know, you and your friends. Um, so that this is more of a way, I guess, of saving fuel. If you're all jumping together to the same place, you're know, you you're not going to use up the same amount of fuel. So interesting. It's an extra part of the game which um, we didn't know about.
3: What occurred to me after our discussion about it was that, obviously, in the previous games, you had a concept that there was a, a, a t- there was a time delay while you were in hyperspace, and this gave rise to certain amounts of missions in single-player. Because if you were a small ship, you could analyse the hyperspace exit point of a large ship, and then when you were to hyperspace to the same location, you would actually get there before them, and you could wait for them to arrive and then pirate them. And and that was something you could do in a single-player environment because when you went into hyperspace, it just fast forwarded the clock. You know, six or seven days. It'd be interesting to see with this obviously having to be real time because of the multiplayer element, what they can implement that still gives that kind of feeling of being able to analyze someone's hyperspace cloud and maybe get there before them even if like in some multiplayer games where when you die you respawn i don't think it's necessarily a faux pas to you know when when a player goes into hyperspace to give them a little countdown to say well you're going to be in hyperspace for 20 seconds and then maybe faster ships they only have a a 10 or 15 seconds so you have to be a little bit quick on the trigger with it but it's a possibility.
0: The last question coming in from uh, Windle: is it going to be possible to dock with capital ships? Now, I know Alan's exceptionally happy about this because he managed to get in there first with his prophetic, that's what capital ships are going to be for in the last podcast. So David basically said, yes, various kinds of capital ships are going to exist in the game from giant freighters to military ships and also shipyards. Um, Ship to ship docking is also going to be possible for the exchange of goods. So it's going to be possible to dock with the capital ships. They will not offer the same breadth of services as, say, the space stations will. And they'll obviously be geared to you know, various services, such as shipyards will probably be more geared towards ships, repairs, and possibly equipment. Military ships, I'm guessing, are going to be for you know, collecting missions and stuff. What do you guys think about uh, being able to dock with various different ships?
2: Uh, I think, first of all, I've got to stress that I didn't steal anyone's thunder on this one. I was totally guessing, but it's been—it's uh, you know, having the docking ability with capital ships has been something that's been done in other games. So you've seen it in Freelancer, you've seen it um, in uh, in several other games that uh, that use this sort of space adventure style. So it seemed seemed only natural to me, and I, I guess as well when you start applying that kind of large capital ship to the extension of a faction power inside the galaxy then you start looking at you know feudal systems and anarchy systems and where you know where they they can sort of impose order for a limited period of time which would be really interesting
1: yeah and you can also i can see it um being a great way for having, you know, missions created on the fly. Because obviously all these missions are going to be procedurally generated. But it would just be nice to have, for instance, you know, the Empire enter a system temporarily to um, take advantage of some resource or something. And all of a sudden then you'll see a flurry of missions appearing on various military bulletin boards saying, look, we need you to take this, take that, take these passengers to that particular ship.
3: Um, I don't know if any of you have ever driven into an army base Uh, here in the UK you pull up at the checkpoint and you have to basically say who you are who you're there to meet they check over your car and there's this whole security necessarily security process and I'd quite like to see that in the game where a public space station you pretty much just turn up and dock but to actually kind of get onto one of the military carriers you have to kind of you know fly into a bit of a queue and have your ship scanned a little bit more intently and all that sort of thing before you can land. I think it'd just be a great opportunity to just set some really exciting scenarios.
0: Hold on, Chris, before you go any further, can I just... Just check something here. You actually want them to put the excitement of queuing into the game. Is that right? <laughs> am I, am I that up correctly? Uh, That's think... terribly British of you. It really is.
3: <laughs> it goes back to the gaming classic Shenmue, where you would basically spend most of the game waiting for buses to turn up in real time. But, uh...
0: I mean, obviously with the shipyards, I'm assuming that we'll be able to possibly buy ships that we can't buy from the spaceport, maybe equipment we can't buy from the spaceport. What sort of things would differentiate the... Yeah, the capital ships and the shipyards from, you know, your basic public space station.
4: Well, saying we still stick with military drives. Obviously, they're going to be military drives hanging out all over the place in the battle cruiser. I I'm, I'm suppose. If they've got um, their small fighters, they're going to have replacement parts. So they'll be perhaps cheaper um, or a slightly better version or add-ons that you wouldn't normally get at a public place. Or, like you say, missions or yeah, stuff that makes it worthwhile going there, not just a curiosity
2: It's also down to the narrative style. I mean, you know, where you're talking about specific missions and military missions being handed out at capital ships as opposed to space stations. Yeah, you know, I mean, you've got that element. You've also got, if you chose to involve what kind of news you would get, getting the information and briefings that the military would get, as opposed to the kind of media briefings that you might get at a public space station, that might be different too. So I guess stylistically, the whole thing can can kind of alter with the different opportunity.
1: And also, um, I'm just going to throw this out there, um, and I think I'm about to maybe get some con- you know, get some complaints from the forums or something. We'll see. Um, it'll be interesting to see, you know, docking with these ships. Um, somebody's already alluded to the fact that it might be the case that that's where you're going to get your military drives from, um, the shipyards on military vehicles rather than on the public space stations. But I'm wondering, you know, if you're picking up your, your missions there, um, as part of missions, are you going to see the availability of upgrades that you wouldn't ne- um, you wouldn't normally get unless you were in the military, or get access to weapons that wouldn't normally be available, or even getting access to ships that wouldn't normally be available? But I'm just wondering if Frontier are, in a way, they're going to say, look, you if you want access to certain stuff, you are going to have to join one faction or another, militarily-wise, to get that kind of weapon or something.
0: Yeah, because I'm assuming it was enough, possible it? In, the, um, in the Frontier game to sort of you know, play one off against the other, so you could have sort of a, a pretty decent military rank in both factions without having too much of a problem with it. Uh, I would definitely like to see that in Elite Dangerous. They you know, make you stick your colours to one mast, as it were, uh, and that everything that you do in one faction actually decreases your reputation or your, your rank in another.
2: Yeah, no, I agree. And I think as well what you can also do by that is as long as you have a bit of a notion of balance towards what items are available, you can allow people to specialize in slightly different ways. So, you know, you may well find that someone is a bit of a multi-classer and they can get a, a decent dependable ship by not necessarily nailing their colors to the wall. But someone else who decides to be an Imperial or decides to be a, a Fed um, ends up with
0: something very specific. Yeah, absolutely. But what about the, the prospect of sort of docking you know, ship to ship out in in dark space with an ally to transfer, you know, goods. I mean, just obviously smacks of uh, a smuggler or pirate written all over it.
1: Well, I think it's a necessity because it's a multiplayer game, and if people are going to work together in any meaningful way, I think they're going to need to be able to transfer cargo or even just transfer credits, you know, helping out your, your friend who's just joined the game or something. Like
0: a, that. I mean, that's a different topic completely, the whole idea of transferring credits, because for me, as an EVE Online player, that was both you know, a blessing and a curse. You know, EVE Online players, on the whole, you know, are very, very warm towards newbies, but one of the things that I did notice quite a lot is that you'd get into a guild or you'd make friends with people, and, you know, one of the things they would do is they say, okay, well, here's a million credits, go and buy this ship, or start working your way up towards, you know, being able to fly this, um, and I'll give you the money to buy it. So you skipped out quite a lot of the basic sort of tutorial of that game and learning the experience points at the very sort of bottom, because people just literally gave you a green card or a credit card to uh, to pay your way. Foz, um, isn't that your pager? Ah, oh, damn it! No worries, guys. Hold the port for two seconds. I'll be right back.
5: Attention, attention. Second technician Chris Forrester to the station gantry. The vending machine has broken. Repeat, second technician Forrester to the gantry. The vending machine has broken. Attention. Attention. Medical officer to the gantry. Medical officer to
0: the gantry. Foz, are you alright? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm fine. I'm 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 fine. I'm fine. Okay, and moving on to our next topic in the news. The third newsletter has been released. The newsletter covered this week the concept art for the new elite ship, the Imperial Fighter, the deteriorating ship models that are affected by time and how the player actually plays the game, personal life support systems space station designs uh, more discussion on the federation cruiser concept arts the final hyperspace travel proposal lockdown and first elite drabble by writers of the official elite fiction
3: just question so is drabble an official thing because i know flash fiction is about 300 words
2: yeah drabbles uh, are designed for role-playing games really Uh, they're the Uh, tiny bits of fiction you add in role-playing games when Dave Hughes came onto the forum and sort of started talking about what he was going to do with the role-playing game, he mentioned the term Drabble, and Michael picked that up by saying, I really like writing Drabbles, and then um, Dave said, well, I'm going to need a few for the role-playing game. Now it's turned out that actually we're also going to need a few in the newsletter. So okay. Michael today has announced that having put the first Drabble in the newsletter, mm. we are able to write some of them,
0: So you know, which is quite nice. Now, starting off with the concept art for the Imperial Fighter, what did you guys make of it? Well, I think it's
2: always nice to see more original artwork coming out of Frontier Developments. It's pretty, it's attractive, and it's a great opportunity for you know, some of the very creative people in the, the dev team there to really showcase what they can do.
1: Yeah, I have to agree. I mean, anything Imperial is always going to look nice. Um, I'm quite biased. Uh, the, the one thing I noticed about it was that it, it's like riding a bike, apparently. You know, it doesn't look something like like a ship you'd f- want to fly for any long length of time.
0: <laughs> for those people that haven't seen the newsletter, it's basically, again, it's got the very stylistic wing approach uh, that the Imperial ship seems to have. Interestingly, they've said on this particular concept, the wings will actually... Uh, retracts in on themselves to create a, a smaller frame so that they can be carried around in cruisers and things and yeah as it's only a single single man fighter the pilots from the early concept will actually be riding it almost like a motorbike. Which yeah as you say John it's not going to be something that uh, you're going to want to do for any prolonged period of time but the, I mean the fighter is an interesting question in itself because I mean again I didn't play Frontier First Encounters but in Frontier I pretty much left all the small fighters alone because for me in that game they just didn't have either the you know the space for long range sort of exploration they didn't really have the the cargo hold for putting in big weapons so I didn't really see you know what uh, what function they had
1: I think that's some kind of that's a bit of a bias because and I I did it myself is we were just concentrating on making money to buy a bigger ship, to make more money until, you know, you had a ship so big that you could, you know, kit it out, whatever. But I suppose that it was possible if you wanted to just play the game doing military missions if you wanted to be an assassin. So you would stick to a small fighter rather than worry about, you know, having to grab something with a Class 8 hyperdrive.
3: But this really comes into its own when this game they're talking about owning multiple ships. Because if I'm generally kind of a business owner and a trader and mining and stuff, but I also want to take on assassination missions or whatever, you know, I'm not going to take my puma to go and do an assassination mission <laughs> because it's, a, you know, it looks like a fish, moves like a fish, steers like a cow, as um, Douglas Adams once wrote. But I think this is great is, you know, you keep, a, you keep a fighter handy in the same way that you might, you know, you might own an SUV. You might also have a motorbike and you take out the motorbike when it's just you and you want to go and do something kind of quick. I think as well,
2: we've already seen in the test footage when the Kickstarter was up just how quick the Viper Mark IIs were by comparison to everything else. And they were saying about how, you know, some of the track cam footage, they couldn't necessarily keep it with the Viper Mark IIs because it was working so, you know, they were, they were zipping around so fast. And I, I love that idea. I love the idea of the fact that combat's going to have these different strategies attached to it depending on the flight model that you've got, uh, got available.
1: And the other thing as well, just to throw it out there, talk about owning multiple ships. If you have the old deployable mining equipment, was it the MB-4s yep. that you had in Frontier? I mean, I could imagine that you take your big mining ship out, you drop them off, wants to stop you flying back and then jumping in a fighter, go and do some missions while your while kit's out mining um, instead of just sitting around
3: yeah no, absolutely i okay, should well. say as well when we're talking about retractable wings that you know being a being an advocate and a spokesman for the uh the imperial courier and the imperial trader of course those ships even in frontier had retractable engines
0: you're desperate to see those ships come back into the game aren't you? <laughs> as am i <laughs> i think you guys are actually having sleepless nights over whether or not they're going to put in an appearance
3: I'll mod the game if they're in there.
0: Like yeah, I, I'm
1: going to take my pledge back. <laughs>
0: oh my god, it, it's planetary landings all over again.
1: Unless David Braben in the next video confirms that they're in, that's it. Yeah, have you, either of you
0: guys actually posted that question
1: on the Ask David Anything thread? No,
0: I'm going to do it tomorrow. Yeah, exactly. So get the question written in. You've got
1: one week, David. <laughs>
0: Okay, and, and on that threat, we'll move on to the deteriorating ship models that are affected by time and, and how the player actually plays the game. Uh, they've put in the newsletter a wonderful picture of the Sidewinder. Obviously, on the far left-hand side, looking like it's just rolled off the you know the production line. It's all chic, it's all shiny, it's all smooth. And then, obviously, on the right-hand side, it's got thruster burn marks, it's got paint chips, it's got little dents and dinks in the side of it. And according to David, these are the things that are all going to be procedurally generated depending on how old the ship is and how the player plays the game. If they get into lots of fights, that's going to have an effect if they fly into space stations rather than docking particularly well, that's going to have an effect. It was something that came up in the Reddit and it was one of the things that I thought was a really, really cool thing to add into the game because it was almost by just looking at a ship you could see exactly what sort of playstyle that person has and obviously the, an older, more battered ship almost becomes like a badge of honour. What do you guys think?
1: Well, an older, battered ship might not be older. It might just be that you're really bad at docking. But <laughs> um, no, I think, it's, I think it's brilliant, you know, and this is what modern technology allows you to do. The one thing I, I'd like to know, practically wise because i'm actually one of those people that likes to keep a nice clean ship so i'm wondering that do you remember in frontier you used to have different levels of servicing for your ship you just have like the basic and equipment or you have like the full service i'm just hoping that in this game if you spring for the full service it includes a paint job so that your ship looks (laughs) new again that's that's what i'm hoping for
2: are you also (laughs) hoping to have those kind of moments where you argue with the guy at the garage (laughs) (laughs)
0: about how much the labour cost
2: is.
1: No, I want to be able to pull it into the garage, and then when the guy looks at it, he goes...
3: I'm imagining a- that if we ever see John in like multiplayer, that if you play the game on a Sunday, all John's going to be doing is in a space suit, just washing his- the outside of his ship just every Sunday, just washing it, rain or shine No, I'll be flying between
1: different uh, space stations, trying to get the best deal on a repair
3: <laughs> But it was interesting that this came up because one of the things um, I've been thinking about, because I finally with people talking about it, picked up ULIT or whatever it's called it's one of the things that suddenly occurred to me is no matter what happens to your ship in the previous games, you always end up being able to sell it back at the spaceport kind of for the price that you paid for it. And as mm. I, I was playing this, I was thinking, I wonder if in the new game they'll have some concept of depreciation. Because as everyone knows, the Cobra Mark III, you know, loses half its value as soon as you uh, fly, <laughs> fly out, out of the dock. out
0: of the space dock, absolutely. Absolutely.
3: <laughs> but I wonder if that'll be a factor in the game, because you always used to have this idea that your ship was kind of... You know, it was your riches encompassed in a craft and you could almost always liquidate that asset whenever you need. But actually, I wonder if this will lead to the fact that your ship will depreciate over time and you will have to think about upgrading a ship at some point. You know, even if you don't want to move on to a new model, you might just have to buy a new for old.
1: The way I remember from Frontier was that once you moved on to a new ship, the difference in amount of space allowed you to earn so much money. In such a short space of time that the ship below it that you just had previously was insignificant, the trade-in price. You're going to have insurance policies and your ship's going to be getting blown up quite a lot by the sounds of it. Um, And you're going to be returned to your space station. You're going to be given a new like-for-like ship depending on your insurance policy. So I don't know if this trade-in thing is going to be the same. I'd like to see depreciation if they are going to do it unless obviously you've serviced it well. That would be—I mean, that'd be great, you know. We'll <laughs> see so you. One, one careful driver, you know, regularly serviced. <laughs> oh, okay. Hold on a second.
0: Again, I'm going to just sort of cut you in here because uh, we've already had Jarvis talking about how exciting queuing's going to be in the Elite Dangerous games. Now we're talking about going from garage to garage and servicing our ships and how exciting that will be when it comes into part-exchanging them. Hey, there's Not nothing really,
1: worse, okay, than when you're about to attack an anaconda and your laser breaks down. Okay, you service your ship and you service it regularly.
3: And we have been talking about whether or not the average age of elite fans is going to be a problem with this game. This is where it's going to be a problem because <laughs> the average age of your elite players, what they care about, is having a shiny car, getting it serviced regularly, waiting for, queuing for trains.
1: The only thing that remains now is to start wearing leather driving gloves while playing the game.
0: <laughs> oh, that's oh, brilliant! This is just going worse and worse and worse. They could do. I just wonder whether or not there's going to be a sci-fi version of Turtle Wax in the future. <laughs>
3: Imagine that, Elite branded leather driving gloves I'd buy them,
2: definitely (laughs) Maybe there's someone on the forum that could uh, do a knock-up picture
0: of those kind of gloves
1: That would would be be nice nice.
0: Now that is a picture I desperately want to see (laughs) (laughs) Foz, isn't that your pager again? Oh, what? Seriously? Okay, hang on, two seconds guys, I'll be right back
5: Attention, attention 2nd Technician Chris Forrester to the Maintenance Pylon. The vending machine has broken. I repeat. 2nd Technician Forrester to the Maintenance Pylon. The vending machine has broken. Attention.
3: Attention. Medical officer to the maintenance pylon. Medical officer to the maintenance pylon. You're all right, mate? You look a bit shaken. <sighs> yeah. I'm okay. Right, I'm fine.
0: The next topic in the newsletter, uh, the concept idea of uh, personal life support systems. Now, this was an interesting one for me because obviously when it comes to avatars within the game. At the moment we're only at the ship level. Actually walking around in space stations and walking around in ships is something that's going to come much further down the line but it gives you an example of what sort of depth uh, Frontier Development are going to in terms of creating this universe that one of the teams is actually already thinking about how you'd actually do a personal life support system for your commander and they've presented all sorts of different ideas in terms of almost cling film type arrangements that will stick to you know the commander's eyes and mouth and ears to protect him against depressurization of the the cabin uh what did you guys think of you know the concept and some of the pictures that they put up
2: well it's quite clear here that you've got a a very physical representation of of a lot of the the development thinking around looking at all the the historical writing because most of the guys in the writing forum were all very aware of the Dark Wheel and Robert Holstock's Remlock Survival Mask. And the Remlock Survival Mask is something that we all kind of in little ways have wanted to include in our stories. And it's nice to see here we've got something that quite clearly represents it.
3: And from my point of view, the thing that I found really interesting about these conceptual designs is that it's, uh, it's really exciting from a um, a sort of speculative science fiction sense. Because you kind of know that by the time technology's got advanced as it would need to be an elite dangerous to be traveling around the universe that people aren't going to be wearing big old clunky nasa spacesuits when they get in their ship anymore you know you're essentially going to be pretty much walking into your ship wearing whatever you wear day to day um but you're still going to need that survival gear and i think this really set my mind going because it is really interesting that it's not cumbersome and it's not clunky and it is almost like uh, from the description it sounds almost like it's it's like a sort of airbag That this thing only kind of appears when there's a problem and you really need it
0: moving on to the next section which was space station designs now these were things that uh, got me quite excited now obviously we know from the original game you've got the Coriolis cube Now that's iconic within the elite franchise (laughs) and then moving into Frontier you've got the wheel again Became a very iconic feature of the game and this is the first look we've really had apart from you know, some of the, the concepts that we've had at the, the Kickstarter about what the space stations these big hulking structures are going to look like inside the game now obviously there's a couple there that we're going to recognize such as Coriella station and the wheel from Frontier but there's a lot of other designs going on here there's a lot of variety what did you guys think?
1: Well, I thought the interesting thing about the wheel in the concept art is that they've stuck with the octagon rather than like just making it a, a complete circle. Because obviously, it was probably an octagon in the original because it's less polygons to draw. Yeah. But they've kind of embraced it, you know. Unless David Braben turns up now and says, "No, it's meant to be an octagon," but um, <laughs> you know, it would it would make more sense in terms of a you know a rotating station for gravity, if it was actually a circle. But I'm glad they kind of embraced it, because it kind of looks a lot cooler, a lot more angular. But yeah, the rest of the stations just look absolutely fabulous. They're kind of moving towards something a bit more Star Wars-like. I was, was you say Star Wars, because I'm saying
0: 2001, 2010, with some of the stuff that I've seen in there.
2: Yeah, I was thinking 2001, to be honest. I mean, you've got a few sort of best bin elements, I guess, uh with yeah. some of the pieces that are there. But certainly, you know, you can see two thousand and one coming through some of the, the designs. And also that kind of nineteen sixties, nineteen seventies science fiction artwork that you used to get on the on the front of paperbacks and hardback books. You know, yeah. it's incredible designs on some of those those science fiction novels. And it's like nice to see here that we've we've got something essentially that is is almost harking mm-hmm. back to that kind of idea.
1: Yeah, just sorry, I I just mentioned it, but just just to pick up on it, the the solar panels, it's good to see them being used because, I mean, if you think about it, um, a sun is powerful enough to create all of the life and energy on Earth. Um, And so out in space, outside of the atmosphere, the amount of uh, energy coming off a star is massive. And so it adds that extra level of realism that they would use a technology such as that for powering a a space station.
2: Yeah, I would guess as well we're, we're kind of at a stage where some of the technology that would power a space station and that would be conceivable for a space station is stuff that we understand. You know, we don't understand all of it, but some of it we do, because we've got a space station. And certainly with, you know, the themes and the ideas that are coming out of how the game's developing, they do very much want it to be gritty, they want it to be dirty, and they want it to reflect you know, the technology that we already have.
0: I mean, it's great that they've got the the Coriolis station and they've got the station from Frontier, but one of the things I would like to see incorporated in the game is actually some some sort of older structures, some of the ruined structures. I'd love it for the Coriolis station and the the wheel to actually only really be seen in, say, you know, like the pirate dens, and they're broken down versions of them. You know, they're, they're stations that are sort of outgrown their functionality in the main core worlds, which are all sort of big and new sleek stations. But uh, in the outer rims, you know, you might see a, a wheel stuck to a Coriolis station, or you might just see this sort of, this mismatch of, uh, of structures cobbled together and used, not so much like relics, but actually just used as, um, you know, they've been discommi- uh, decommissioned in one system, but they've been hauled out to another system where they're still the only functional space station that that system can afford
2: yeah no i think as well i mean if you look at our front page with the concept art that we've taken from elite dangerous to to fuel our website look at that you've got the coriolis set up with this sort of extra structures on the top and on each of the surfaces and they've gone with that idea with the sidewinder i'd really like to see them do that to the coriolis i'd like the you know the the basic structure to be the same shape but adding fuel canisters adding built extra sections and what have you on top of it so that it's It's really not working as well as it perhaps you know was originally designed to work. So it kind of
0: it's almost been extended too far. I think is a great idea. Going on the you know the element of the ship designs that they're bringing into the game in terms of them being functional, and you can see how everything would actually work. I hope that sort of filters down through to the space station, so you can see not just all the grab rings, but like emergency airlocks and stuff like that. And one of the things from looking at these concept pictures that does strike me as a little bit odd is that they still all seem to have just the single exit and entry point whereas you'd imagine with a busy space station you'd actually have a few places where you could actually dock your ship
3: i suppose with, with my tech head on you'd have you'd have one entrance planet side and one one entrance out to the so out to the the the, the sort of um, the rim if you like because you'd have i suppose you'd have one docking point for shuttles coming up from the planet surface and you'd have another one for kind of interstellar visitors
0: the other thing that we haven't seen here is any way of connecting them to, you know, your big capital ships. You know, something just a little bit bigger than the Anaconda. It would be great to see, you know, like large extension arms going out to something like the, the Lynx bulk cruisers and stuff like that. But again, you know, these are just the, the very first drawings that we're seeing in the space station. So I'm sure that sort of design will come a little bit further down the line.
3: Oh, the thing that occurred to me was that um, I'm not sure if I'm going mad, but some of these designs I'm sure look like space stations we already have. I mean, 31 is, is the spit of the International Space Station, mm. and there's one nearer the top that looks a lot like Skylab. But it made me think that that's what I was thinking when you were saying about these sort of museum pieces. I quite liked the idea that maybe the International Space Station is still up there somewhere, being kind of looked <laughs> after as a relic of the sort of early days of space travel, that maybe it's a museum that you can visit or something.
0: That would be awesome. Yeah, I'd quite like that as well. OK, so the next section in the newsletter was the Heart of Darkness, the concept art where you can actually see inside the two massive pylons of the federation cruiser and they've just done a little bit more explanation as to why the federation cruiser is set up that way and looking at the concept art it's all around the fact that provides a a safety alley for various ships there's lots and lots of docking areas with inside those two arms it allows ships to fly out of the docking bay and still have the protection of the main ship before they actually enter into space
1: this was when I saw it. I was like, "Yeah, that looks cool. It'd be nice docking there." But then, in, if you think about it in terms of you know what they want to do in further updates, with you know being able to get out of your ship and walk around your ship, or being able to get out and maybe walk around other ships, it'd be great to be able to walk around like a huge ship or a huge space station like that. Uh, And imagine if they had like some kind of a like assassination mission where you actually had to get off your ship to go and complete it, like go all Assassin's Creed on some kind of uh, (laughs) space station. I thought, you know, that's I know it's pie in the sky, but it's fun.
0: The concept of flying out into the sort of this safety zone still within the main ship before uh, entering into what was from the look of the concept arc, a combat zone.
1: Well, I mean, if it is a combat zone, obviously it would give you some valuable cover while you got your got yourself together. But apart from that, it's it's more, I guess, eye candy. And in some circumstances, I guess, for noobs, it might present a parking problem.
3: <laughs> I was going to say that there, there were two things about this image that occurred to me straight away. One is when you come out of the flight deck, the thing immediately in front of you is a wall. So that's that's one immediate problem. The other thing is they've got these nice kind of glass covered walkways for pedestrians between halves of the ship and you think i don't think i'd want to walk down a glass walkway <laughs> where there's new pilots going back and forth trying to get into landing base
2: gonna be a pretty sight though you know i mean if they did bring in a sort of a get out of the cockpit and being able to walk around in inside the ship as you're walking around inside the ship seeing somebody else flying down the, the stretch to to park you know i think that's
1: fantastic yeah, it's going I'm to be sorry, a but how many review.
3: gamers aren't just going to start strafing the people walking along the walkways? Yeah.
1: <laughs> you're just going to buzz them, aren't you? Just to make them duck.
2: <laughs> yeah, that's, that's why you take a grenade pouch with you, don't you? You, know,
1: you basically throw it back
5: out,
2: you know, down the middle. But I it'd be a lovely preview. think
0: that there's yeah you know, within the game there's spaces of the game where you know you are going to be inaccessible to certain ships. So obviously you're never going to be able to fly an anaconda down that, that particular channel. It's only for the, the sort of the small fighters. Uh, are going to see that particular part of the game.
3: I'd give it a go. <laughs> <laughs> never say never.
1: I just can't wait till I arrive in the system and I find that um, Chris Jarvis's anaconda is wedged stuck. <laughs> <laughs> I,
2: I think it is very few conversations or indeed podcasts that end up talking about Chris Jarvis's anaconda.
0: <laughs> oh, no, not again. <sighs> Hang on, guys. I'll be right back.
5: Attention, attention. Second technician Chris Forrester to the Zoological Laboratory. The vending machine has broken. I repeat. Second technician Forrester to the Zoological Laboratory. The vending machine has broken. (sighs) Sigh. Attention, attention! Medical officer to the zoological laboratory. Medical officer to the zoological laboratory.
1: Foz, you're all right. Your clothes are all ripped. The DDF
0: hyperspace travel proposal is finally going to lockdown, so that's being secured. If you want to check that out, you can go and have a look at it on the forum. We've already covered this bit in some detail in previous podcasts, and the final and new piece to the newsletter is the first elite drabble by writers of the official elite fiction we thought we'd do a little twist on the first one so I hope you enjoy it
3: the long game by Michael Brooks read by Christopher Jarvis I enjoy waiting I like being alone out here in the cold of space the ship is powered down I don't want any heat or EM traces revealing my position The information I needed to find this ambush point cost me more than I'll receive from the bounty, but that doesn't matter. All that matters is the kill. It's dark in the cockpit, the soft hum the only sound. A blossom of exotic particles reveals the hyperspace entry of an incoming ship. The computer confirms the target, and the ship comes to life. I lock target and fire.
0: Well, that'll just about do it for the newsletter. What we're going to do now is we're going to move on to the feature request updates. John, do you want to tell us a little bit about this?
1: Yeah, sure. I mean, these feature requests um, are very interesting. Um, if anybody hasn't seen them, they're in the, the news section of the forum, so they're open to everybody. Um, but there have been um, some golden snippets of information handed out through these, um, so I recommend going to read them. Uh, first of all, in update number six, one of the big big questions was about clans or guilds within the game. So obviously these questions are getting asked asked to Sandy, Michael and even David, but they've basically said as far as guilds go in the first release there's not going to be any. Uh, there's just going to be player groups which are m- uh, managed through whatever this, um, this, this great system, multiplayer system they've built. Um, there's not going to be any guilds although that's something that they will definitely be looking into in uh, future expansions. Any thoughts on that at all? Yeah, I mean,
0: I must admit, I've never been involved in... I mean, obviously, EVE Online, it's very sort of corporation-driven. That's the only game I've actually experienced any sort of guilds and clan sort of setup. Does it really make that much of a difference in a game like Elite Dangerous? I mean, you're obviously going to be able to choose who you play with in terms of what instances you select to do. So is that not going to be your clan or your group? There's also the fact that you've got the... Uh, the established faction
2: bases anyway so they probably want to start with at least to try and you know get the empire off the ground so that everybody understands you know what the empire is about get the you know the other faction power bases off the ground so that you know to begin with you understand who your who your corporations are and uh and who your different affiliations are and i think that's probably a good thing
1: so the next question was about uh whether players would be able to have achievements in game and I mean, this can manifest itself in many different ways. It could be built in, for instance, having the rank, different combat rankings, things like that. But this is far more specific. This is more to do with the games that we've seen on consoles, things like Xbox Live, where you have achievements and you can compare them against other players. So there's going to be stats in the game, um, but I think Michael basically says, yes, we're going to have something like this, although we haven't got any details on it. Personally, what I would like to see is that there is to be some kind of achievement system, but I want it to be very built into the game itself. You know, for instance, I don't want to see somebody shooting the first pirate and then some garish yeah, yeah. purple blob pops up on the screen saying, well done, you've killed your first person. Yeah, I don't want that, but I would like to see something, some kind of record of achievement that other players can see just to understand what it is that you, you've done in the past. Um, what are your thoughts, guys?
3: Some uh, sort of elite status, maybe <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, I think as well, it's also a,
2: an ability to unlock narrative, isn't it? So you know in previous games, what they've done is when you've achieved certain things, then uh, you know you have the ability to again go off and do certain types of mission or you know get involved in certain types of gameplay. Um, I think that's a good idea, so you know uh, if people manage to do that, I think that's 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 going to be useful at the same time. We've got to factor that against the different styles of play that people have, because you know we've had this discussion about the the sort of different types of gamer that we're going to have involved in this game. And what you don't want to do is you don't want to have anything that's that's too, you know, too dependent on people spending hours and hours and hours grinding away. So
0: you know, going to be interesting to see how they work it through. Yeah, I must admit, from my point of view, uh, apart from the stuff that we found out in terms of the reputation DDF a couple of weeks ago, where now You might be able to put a suffix in front of your name to say what sort of ranking you are in that particular career path. Um, I don't think I really want a a list of achievements. I mean, to be honest, maybe if they were sort of set achievements, you could maybe have a, I don't know, like a, a, captain's, you know, a captain's room within your ship where they would appear on your wall maybe as plaques if you've done... A hundred missions for the federation, or yeah, something like that—something that you could actually see in the physical sense. I don't think I would want the, you know, as you were saying, you've killed your first pirate or bounty hunter. Mark one flash up on screen, or or anything actually that encourages people to sort of enter into the griefing thing that you get on a Medal of Honor or Call of Duty, where you you know you're striving to get like a ten kill streak going, and it flashes up on everybody's screen. Yeah, I'm not sure that's the sort of thing that would work with Elite Dangerous.
3: No good asking me. I'm a notorious trophy whore. Oh really? Yeah, <laughs> absolutely.
0: So you would actually go back through a game and complete it all just to get the, you know, the achievement level up to a hundred.
3: Oh, well, I, I have done 15 times. <sighs> I've, okay, I've, so I've, I have I have 15 platinum trophies on the PlayStation 3.
0: But surely that's not going to work in a game like Elite Dangerous where you've got a completely open sandbox where you can do any type of career. Because, I mean, you're not going to be 100% achievement bounty hunter, 100% achievement trader, 100% achievement imperial career or whatever.
3: It is a bit crazy. I mean, I have to confess my most recent platinum trophy was actually for um, Skylanders. And I have this slightly weird thing that even though I have 100% of the trophies, the actual game completion is only about 33%. Because the two things don't equate. But... Um, I think that the thing I think, you know, I mean, we could do a whole podcast about the, the merits and sins of trophies and achievements, but I think that the ones that I find really fun are the kind of the really silly ones, the ones that you don't expect to get and then you do get. I mean, there's I'd like, you know, something for Elite. I'd love to see something like uh, an achievement for ejecting your escape pod and killing another player while doing so. That would, <laughs> that would be an amazing achievement.
1: Yeah. I, I, depending on the game, sometimes they work. Like, for instance, um, GTA four, there was some really fun achievements in there, you know, sh- driving around the entire city, shooting 100 pigeons, you know, that kind of achievement. And it kind of suits it. But personally, and I, I don't speak for the entire um, elite community, but I think the feeling is that they want it to be a space sim, Rather than an arcade kind of, I don't know. I may be wrong. There may be a call for it. Uh, in World of Warcraft, originally there was no achievements at all, and then they added it in in a later expansion, and it was a massive hit. So it might be something people will warm to in the future. We'll see.
2: Players tend to to group around ideas as well, don't they? So, you know, where you're recording off some of the stuff that you're, you know, that you're doing in terms of play by using Fraps or something else. When uh, when they were looking at Half Life and Half Life Two. The gravity gun you know people were recording all sorts of footage on how creatively they'd managed to kill people mm-hmm. um so you know i don't know it will, it will depend obviously on what the players want
3: and i think trophies for me are a slightly social thing and i think I, i'm not saying i want to see trophies or achievements in elite dangerous i think you're right i don't think it's necessarily going to add all that much to it but one of the things that's nice about it is it's nice to look down your buddies list and get an idea of the progress that your friends are making with a particular game. And I'd actually quite like something within this game, given that it's going to be so kind of online and so social. I'd like somebody to be able to look at my pilot profile and maybe have a bit of a feeling of the kind of journey that I've taken to date, like maybe, because they've been talking about there being certain kind of, well, they haven't specifically said about there being wonders of the galaxy, but they've had this, they've, they've dropped hints that there's going to be nice kind of sort of one-off natural wonders that you can visit in the game and it would be nice to be able to i don't know take take snapshots of them or or just something on your kind of player log that says this is what this player has been doing they have seen this nebula they have traveled to this far off system just to give a flavor of what each other are doing i think that would really add quite a lot but if they
0: were to do that wouldn't they also i know they're talking about selling that sort of nav data at a price, if they just put pictures up and said they travelled to this system and saw this wonders of the universe doesn't that sort of detract from that element of the game?
3: I don't think so. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> and I was just going to say the other thing is, just going back to the World of Warcraft thing again, is if you're in a group with people and one of them says, you know, they say they get uh, promoted in the military or that their combat rating increases, you know, it'll say to everyone in the group, "Oh, you know, this person is now corporal or something like that sometimes that can be quite good in, in a social setting and um, that that might be something i'm willing to entertain <laughs>
3: that's
1: very gracious Okay, so uh, last question was about the potential of people being stranded and been able to put out a distress signal. Now it was made clear that obviously this wouldn't be a final resting place for players. There would always be a way for them to get out. I take it that would be by ejecting their escape pod. But I guess this gives people an opportunity to maybe call for help if they think someone someone friendly is nearby, and so that they can actually... um, Rescue their cargo a bit more easily, or something like that, rather than having to risk going back to a station and then hoping that the cargo is still there when they get back. Obviously, this is something to be a bit more explored. Guys, your feelings?
0: Yeah, as long as it's actually functional. Again, I never played first encounters, but in Frontier, the the option of hailing, help, my ship has broken down, absolutely did jack all um, <laughs> in that game. And uh, even if you were doing your own sort of little role playing thing, uh, help. Every time I got attacked by pirates, I did actually hail out, "Help! I'm being attacked by pirates in Frontier." And again, absolutely naff, all ever happened apart from I felt that I, you know, in my in-game character had done the right thing. So yeah, so to have a functional emergency distress beacon, I think in the game would actually be really, really useful. But I can't imagine what's going to happen, unless potentially if you're close enough to a space station, you get a reply back from, say, the Viper police force, and they say, yeah, we'll be with you in, you know, T-minus 60 seconds, and you've got to survive that encounter for 60 seconds before you get help. And then maybe, you know, you pay, <laughs> I would like the idea of paying a fee for the police support, you know, you, you, know, you weigh up the uh, the 100 credits it's going to cost you to call in the police force versus, you know, actually surviving that battle on your own sort of thing. Yeah, you know, those are the sort of options from, you know, making the choice to press the Distress Beacon or not.
1: Do you actually think any pl- human players would actually help out? Or do you think they'd probably just stand off at a distance ready to help loot the, the, <laughs> the carcass of your ship?
0: Maybe that's why you've got two options. You know, you bring up your communication log and you can either go, you know, Hail All, which get, immediately opens you up to the All Players group, or you can be specific and ask for NPC help from the uh, from the Vipers, which will cost a fee. Whereas maybe the all-player group will actually come and help you free of charge. I don't know.
3: I I say, it comes back to this thing about um, transferring credits player to player. Because if you're just offering up a no, not a bounty, but like a reward for here's a hundred credit reward for coming and helping me, then that might be answered by players. It might be answered by NPCs. I think um, as
2: well. I think as well, it also comes down to whether players are going to you know respond to it positively or respond to hmm. it. As you know, <laughs> vultures in the in the the feeding den. I think that also that comes down to the type of players that you've got and the you know the, the the groups in terms of their their experience compared to different other multiplayer games. I wouldn't necessarily prejudge the players in this. You know, in terms of them being wholly negative about it. Um, I I'd guess that you know if you see someone that if you see a wounded bird, you're probably going to pick on it, aren't you? But uh, um, <laughs> no, <laughs> some, some people may not. Some people <clears throat> some people may not want the uh, you know the 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 time in the, in the orange sidewinder afterwards. was <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, just thinking about it, but well, maybe you can do it by, uh, by means of reputation as well. Uh, obviously we know that there's a, a humanities reputation, maybe instead of getting credits or anything, or, in maybe as well as getting credits, you also get a little bump to your, your humanity reputation or vice versa against your criminal or your pirate setting, <clears throat> depending which way you swing. Okay. That's probably going to do it for the future, uh, the feature request section of the podcast, what we're going to do is move on to the Community Corner section and our listener memory comes in this week from John Heritage, Commander Zebek.
2: Hi, this is Commander Zebek. My first experience with Elite was on an Atari 8-bit microcomputer around when I was nine years old. I played the game before looking at the manual and had no idea what to do. Once I was comfortable not knowing what to do, I practiced crashing in the space stations, buying and selling goods that my father would have been ashamed of, and reading about as many planets in Elite as I could. Elite later spawned addiction to trade wars on the BBSs, which I've never forgotten. Just want to say thank you to everyone for Elite Dangerous, and I'm looking forward
0: to Leave revolution as well. And we're back. Again, a big thank you to John Heritage for that one. Okay, so the next topic in Community Corner this week. Uh, obviously, as we've got you here, John, maybe you want to tell us a little bit about your first commander's
4: log on uh, and hear the wheel. I had to put it together after a bit of urging from, from your mate Ellen there, trying to widen the appeal of and hear the wheel and elite dangerous in general to a a wider um, selection of people, Uh, a point of difference for me in my novel. I guess all the authors have their own angles and the podcast works quite well for me. It's a lot easier for me to uh, do some recording at night and do some playing with sound waves and whatnot when everyone's asleep than cracking out a video recorder and editing that. So it sort of suits my talents and people tell me I have a nice voice. I don't know if that's being nice or not, but uh, (laughs) it seems to work. And uh, had a few downloads already. Yes, yeah, been a few nice reviews, so going to keep going. And I'm hoping to sort of, you know, I don't want to compete with you guys at all. So I'm going to try and time it so that when you guys are having your week off, I'm going to jump in and, and steal your uh, <laughs> crowd. And then when I have my week off, you can steal them back, and we'll just uh, will just bounce each other all, all the way to March next year. No, absolutely. Yeah,
0: as far as we're concerned, you know, the more stuff that's out there on Elite Dangerous, uh, all the better for the community. So. Going forward, what are you planning on doing? Are you planning on doing this as a as a fortnightly show? And are you going to include where you are currently with your you know, with the novel, what sort of challenges you're facing? What sort of content are you putting in there, mate?
4: Yeah, well uh um bi monthly uh every every fortnight, like you say. Yeah, that's that's the plan to go all the way through. I wanna cover a few things. I mean you guys do a really good job talking about the the latest elite gossip. I think it's quite Nice if I can just put my own little twist on a piece of it just to make it a bit current so But mainly talking about my progress with the novel, what's going through the novel, my my thought processes, why I'm doing things the way I'm doing. And that's going to be sort of continuing, I guess, while I'm doing the draft. And then, of course, when the draft stops and I work on editing it, then the whole thought process has completely changed. And I, I think that'll be quite interesting to people, how I how I go about changing it and, and why. And I think that'll be quite interesting to uh, to writers and fans. Excellent. Mate.
0: Well, we wish you the best of luck with it, and obviously we will continue to uh, give you a good shout-out on this show. So where can people find it?
4: Uh, it's on iTunes. You search John Harper or Elite Dangerous or Hear the Wheel or anything like that, and that should pop up under podcasts. And, of course, you can find it on anneheatherwheel.co.nz. There's uh, there's RSS feed set up for it, um, and I'll be updating the website every time a new, new podcast comes out. So just stay tuned or log on to the feed. Perfect stuff, mate. Well, best of luck with it going forward. Great, thank you. John,
0: obviously very aware of the fact that you're currently sitting in a McDonald's car park stealing their Wi-Fi, but uh, maybe give us a bit of an insight as to what's going on in the writers' forum at the moment.
4: Well, it's, uh, it's actually been a quite a quiet week, actually. I think maybe people are actually just knuckling down and in writing instead of talking, but there's been a few areas <laughs> of interest. Um, quite a, you know, a few of the writers are talking about religious cults and sex and how they... Um, how they are going to be portrayed and how well, how realistically how they work and how they can put them into their stories. Um, Drew's mentioned a few times that he was going to go to the Van Manen star system, which is, well, is colonised by a big cult and uh, how children act in, in the game and in the novels and that's been covered a bit by the Imperial documents that we've received. Yeah, we've all got, um as, as Alan, the documents that Alan, Alan's been making on the Alliance, the Federation, the Empire, so it goes into a bit of detail on what Place children have in, in the wider world, all these sort of minor details that you know are not plot critical but add ver- verisimilitude and, and ambience to the novel that you want to get these things right and make them align with david Braben's expectations just focusing on that point
0: about uh, children in the in the galaxy, obviously we know from the imperial Information that we've got that uh, children have the same rights as their parents, and in fact, children are actually given uh, rights by the, their parents. I take it that's going to differ from the, that faction versus federation versus imp- uh, independence. Can you give us any more
4: information on that? The central core thoughts of each system uh, we lay down to the, the children. The Alliance is a, a free-for-all mess of democracy, and you'd expect the children to, you know, live in a world that's a consequence of that. And the Federation is. Free but censored and corporate run, and the kids are going to be working in s- sweatshops or mines or whatever, you know, um, <laughs> but for a good wage.
2: Essentially, you've got the the sort of free and independent uh, sort of idea is is set up in the alliance, and I think you've you've kind of covered that in the federation. You know, the the idea of people effectively connecting with corporations, so you've got branding as well. So. You know, you might well find that people are, you know, are working for a living, but they're also working for a living to buy their specially branded T-shirt or, or something like that. So that's kind of connected too. Um, and the Empire, obviously, the, the doctrine of the Empire is quite, quite strong and it's quite, uh, you know, quite carefully pinned. So, you know, you know immediately where you stand as a child in the Empire uh, in terms of what's there.
0: Uh, John, maybe you want to tell us about the next writer interview.
1: Yes, I recently interviewed Andrei Chausov about his book, Set in the Elite Universe, called Jameson Jones, Supermassive. Had a great conversation with him, and hopefully it will be made available to the listeners
3: in the course of the week.
0: Okay, so going from one teaser to another. Chris, why don't you tell us about your upcoming project?
3: Uh, Okay, well, um, since Slave Radio began and we we started playing around with some of the uh, adverts and things that were going out, um, I've been sort of inspired to produce uh, an elite-inspired radio drama. Um, so for people that know me, I'm, I'm a massive fan of radio serials and, and audio adventures in general, and I think they're amazing. I think if you've never, if you've never got into audio drama before, it's, it's, it's just amazing. It's, it's so much better than TV. Uh, it all looks, in your mind, so much better than TV ever looks. Um, so, yeah, I've been working on a script for a, a series which is going to be going out regularly with uh, Overlave Radio, um and once i can actually get all the actors in the same place at the same time and that's that's the biggest challenge um that'll be happening so look out for that so at the moment the working title is after some debate uh, adventures on the frontier although it is a it is a working title perfect excellent any idea when that might uh when the pilot episode of that might come out i say it's a little bit dependent on on some people other than me um but i'm hoping to, towards the end of next week is what i'm aiming for
0: <laughs> perfect
3: well
0: we're not going to tie you down to that mate so i wouldn't worry about it too much <laughs> but that's great that's another another show under the Lave radio banner which uh, we've got to look forward to uh another show that we are hoping to produce is going to be called the conclave and this is a show that people have requested from the forum uh, obviously i'm sure everybody loves hearing our Uh, Four dulcet tones every fortnight, Uh, but one of the requests we've had is to get a few more people from the community involved. So what we're doing is we're setting up a roundtable debate and inviting some members of the forum. Uh, Some people you might know, some of the writers, some people that post regularly on the forum. Uh, But basically it's it's an open free-for-all for for people to come, jump on Skype and record a 45-minute show uh, discussing purely some of the hot topics around the Elite Dangerous game. Uh, so things like planetary landings will be in there. The you know, the topic around microtransactions could be talked about. So that one's coming up in the next couple of weeks as well as a pilot episode. So hopefully that will be well received and we'll move that as well to maybe once a month as well. Okay, so listener questions this week. We've got a question coming in from Harvey Manning who says, My question is this, I realised the licensing for music would complicate it, but had the programming team considered putting radio stations into the game similar to those first used in games like SimCopter or the better-known Grand Theft Auto games? Um, now, this is something that we've talked about on, on lay radio quite a lot because, obviously, we've all got a vested interest in trying to hear a lay radio broadcast coming around in the Elite Dangerous game. But realistically, guys, what do people think of this idea of having yeah, various music channels and stuff that you can select in your Sidewinder?
1: Uh, well, the thing is if you told me this idea a cup before i played gta i'd have said well you know you're going to get bored very quickly of the same radio station playing in the background but it didn't actually turn out that way it seemed it did actually seem to work even though um, you know after a while you learn all the jokes you'd still leave the radio on so i think it's something that could work in the game uh, maybe it could work in a more social setting so for instance you know the radio station would be available while you were docked, only because that would kind of limit it, but it would give it to you in a big enough chunk that it's worthwhile, if you know what I mean.
0: Yeah, I mean, in terms of, from, I mean, from my perspective, in terms of music, I think it's going to be a very tricky one to to try and balance, because obviously nobody has the faintest idea what music is going to be uh, sounding like in the year three thousand. I mean, I would hate to Two Quiet Suns. <laughs> it's going to sound like that. Oh, it's going to sound like Two Quiet Suns, absolutely. But I'd hate to be undocking my sidewind during hearing you know, Wham's "Wake Me Up Before You Go Go" say on the radio, or or something you know, that sort of takes me out of the you know, elite dangerous universe and puts me straight back into you know, modern day the modern day Earth universe. We all know, Foz,
2: that um, your preference here is for you know rock guitars kind of uh, uh, stringing out, doing their instrumental solos. Um, so you know, I, I guess that your your elite universe is going to be. You know, very Darth Maul like, but with um, <laughs> with uh, with amps turned up to eleven. Um, yeah,
0: absolutely.
2: Now, the thing here is that, really, I guess, I guess at this stage, thinking about radio stations and what have you is, is kind of speculative and blue sky thinking. And I mean, it is anyway. But the point here is that, first of all, there is an awful lot of in- infrastructure that needs to be established in re- relation to the in-game communications before they can kind of start thinking about the the nice touches on the top. To begin with, you need to know where a lot of the, the standard transmitted information is coming from. You know, where are, uh, where are the updated journals coming from or the updated media information? Where's the, the missions coming from? Where's that kind of data coming through? And as soon as they've got that established, then I guess they could start thinking about the, the, the stylistic and thematic uh, elements.
1: Yeah, also, I'm kind of disappointed your lack of imagina- imagination, Foz, about Wham, because surely George Michael will be, con- will be considered uh, classical music in the year 3300 or whatever.
0: I don't think Jitterbug is going to be classified as classical music in any way, shape, or form in any universe. Right, OK, moving on to how, the but, final section. Uh, hang on, section. But hang on. <laughs> hang
3: on how, how will people in the future ever have their first kiss at a party if they don't still play Careless Whisper?
0: yeah. <laughs> Okay, and that's going to pretty much do it for this week. Just a few quick shout-outs. Uh, John Paul uh, from TooMuchGames.com has written in, and he's told us that he, quite interestingly enough, news. we've just announced ours, is also working on an Elite Serial, which he's hoping to produce for the middle of April. Uh, he's promised to keep us in the loop, but again, more, more community involvement. That's another Elite radio show, which uh, should be coming pretty soon, which would be great to hear. And obviously he's been on the show today, but just a quick shout out to and hear the wheel author, John Harper, who's got his Commander's Log podcasts. Yeah, make sure you go and check those out. Okay, and to our very own Alan Stroud's Kickstarter, Lave Revolution. We're pushing on for the stretch goal there for the short film set in the Elite Universe. Currently sitting at £8,000. We need to get to £10,000 to make sure that actually happens. Okay, so last few points before we power down the Sidewinder for another week. Okay, so we've been looking into the idea of releasing these as enhanced podcasts with built-in images and web links. We thought it would be helpful in terms of seeing some of the concept art that Frontier are putting out and also to give us a little bit of something extra to play with in terms of the adverts that we do. A few interesting things. Uh, The first being that I hadn't actually appreciated how many people stream the podcast directly from the website rather than download it to an MP3 player. I also hadn't appreciated the Enhanced Podcast is really the domain of Apple and is not very well supported by Android devices at all. This is all, however, by the by, as the vast majority of people who responded said they weren't really interested in an Enhanced Podcast. This is fine as it means much less work for us, but just to let people know that the topic's being explored. If you disagree strongly with that, then just get in touch. I'd also like you to get in touch and let us know what your favorite ship is from the Elite franchise. This is a follow-up to a poll that Ashley from Frontier posted on Facebook a couple of weeks back. Uh, Now, Facebook only allows you to post 10 poll options. And as we all know, there's far more ships in the franchise than that. Uh, So it meant that many fan favorites like the Interplanetary Shuttle or the Lifter were left off the list. Uh, To that end, Mr. Stabler has placed a new exhaustive poll on the website at layradio.com. Please take 30 seconds to post a response. No registration required. We'll bring you the feedback on the results of that in a couple of weeks. Speaking of feedback, a massive thank you to Mr. Burr, Mrs. Thingy and Rory Scarlett for leaving us feedback on iTunes. Uh, if you'd like to get in touch with the show, we still want to hear more of your listener memories, or if you have a question or topic you'd like to hear the team discuss, then you can catch us on Twitter at Lave Radio. On Facebook, just search for Lave Radio. And if you'd like to message us directly, then you can at info at Lave Well, that's going to do it for another week. Big thank you to John Harper for joining us, and seeing as his Lave Revolution Kickstarter is ending on Wednesday, we thought we'd let our own Alan Stroud play us out with a track from the album that will be accompanying his book. This is Asuriya Downtown.
2: Nav data, hopefully you know and I, I, I touch a lot of wood here because you know i'm I'm kind of speculating like everybody else, but um hopefully nav data will be something that uh, that's a shareable and tradable commodity.